Bibles with me this morning and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your mercy and sending your love through the sacrifice of your Son, where we may look upon him and believe and be saved. Father, what a great salvation which you have as a gift to us, Father. May we look into your portion of Scripture. May we see John the Baptist witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 35, if you'll read with me. And again, again the next day after John stood... And two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Today we're going to look at the very profound topic of the glory of Christ is found. Now, our objective today is the same objective that John the Baptist had in his objective, and he was to be a witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1, and he says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. The objective of John all throughout the book of John, and there's this overreaching theme is to bear witness to the glory of Jesus Christ, to where he can show others, here is the glory of this man, Christ Jesus. And so his goal is for us to also experience this grace, to be graced with a glimpse of the glory of God. The glory of God is in Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, who walked and whom they handled the word of life and they spoke to. They walked behind in a single file line. They they walked on dirty roads and, and they were together with Jesus, the Lamb of God. So John's so we need to keep this in mind. We we must not forget the, the whole theme behind as we go through John is to keep this in mind that we see the glory of God as John bore witness to the glory of God. Today I want us to see seven glimpses of the glory of Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse 35 and 36, we see that the glory of Jesus Christ was the whole goal of John the Baptist's ministry. It was his whole goal. Now, in verse 35, it says, Again, the next day after John stood, I mean John the Baptist, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, which were with John the Baptist, heard him speak, not Jesus, heard John the Baptist, and they followed Jesus. The whole goal was to, for men to follow Jesus. 
I mean, what a humbling thing it must have been for John. These were John's disciples. These were people around John. Now, we are later told who it is. We, we know it's Andrew, uh, but we also think this other disciple could have been John the Apostle himself. John doesn't typically name himself in the Apostle or in the, uh, the Gospel according to John. So it could have been John, and, and we know it was Andrew. But here's the fact, is John the Baptist says, look at him. And his disciples left John and followed Jesus. So the whole goal of John's ministry was to point men and women to Jesus Christ and for them to follow Jesus, not himself. John, we see this humble attitude of John. He says, I have told you, I am not the Christ. In John chapter 3, he says, you know what, I am the friend of the groom. And it is the groom who has the bride, not the friend of the groom, not the groom's men. And so he says, I must decrease, he must increase. And that should be the attitude of every church, every person who's standing up and preaching. It shouldn't be about gathering uh, Philippites. <laughs> I just made that word up. It's not a Philippite. It's not, you know, you're this, you're a Moodyite, or you're a Spurgeonite. All should be pointed to Christ. When you leave here, my prayer is, is that you have seen the glory of who Jesus Christ is. You've been graced to see his glory. Grace for grace. Because it is a gift of God to see the glory of Jesus Christ. So we see that this was John's goal was the first point to the glory of Jesus Christ. Secondly, look at verse 36 and 37. These two are connected. The two disciples, in verse 37, heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now, why did John's disciples leave John and go to the Lamb of God, which John had pointed to? Because they followed Jesus because he is the sin remover. He's a lamb of God. They were following the sin remover. God sent his son as a lamb for sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He is the antitype. Everything in the Old Testament, the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament, how the, it was the lamb, the innocent lamb that would die in the place of the guilty all throughout the Old Testament was pictured in the final work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. He's the Lamb that would take away our sins. And that's what it says in verse 29. Look at verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. That means he took your sins upon him. Wouldn't you want to follow him? Wouldn't you want to follow the Lamb of God? Wouldn't you want to follow Jesus, the one who takes your sins, takes your condemnation? He takes your eternity and punishment. He takes the despair which you have, not only in this life, but in the life to come. He takes all of our sins and he placed them upon himself. And there he was punished. There he died willingly on the cross for your sins. Wouldn't you want to follow him? There's the lamb. There's the sin remover. John the Baptist's disciples said, we love you, John, but we're following him. He's the sin remover. 
There's the man. There's the Lamb of God. They left him because, in verse 37, they heard John the Baptist speak about who Jesus was, about the Lamb. Now, also, look at the way that they followed Jesus. Following Jesus is not heroic. There's no heroism in following Jesus. Think about it. We don't follow Jesus as David's mighty men followed David and just would go up the battle for him. They would do anything for him. They would protect their king. They would serve their king and die for their king. They would do everything. And they would add all of this protection. No. God, Jesus' followers follow him as sheep follow a shepherd. We follow him because we need him. When we follow Jesus, it's not because we're adding value to him. We're not adding things to him. We're following him because of what he gives to us. We're the ones who need protection. We're the ones who are weak and he is strong. We're the ones who sin and he is righteous. We're the ones who need forgiveness. And he's the Lamb of God who takes away my sins. We follow Jesus as sheep. Oh, we are foolish, but he is wise. We are hungry, and he is the bread of life. And we're thirsty. He's the one that gives the water of life freely. All of this points to the glory of Jesus Christ. We follow him, not like in the, the heart of Peter, not in the, the soldier mentality. Now, we do, now that's a different topic. We do, we are Christian soldiers. We are in, in the army, but that's a different topic. That's spiritual warfare. We follow Jesus as those who need him, as sheep need their shepherd, as someone who needs comfort, as someone who needs peace, as someone who needs reassurance, because we are weak and we do fail. And we follow him and he leads us and he guides us as our shepherd. You know, all of this is, the, them following him is bringing attention to Jesus' strength, not ours. Like I said, it's not a heroic thing to follow him. It's actually a thing that you do out of need. I need to follow him because I need his forgiveness. I need his strength. I need his help. I need his, his comfort. I need his peace. I need all of those things. I need salvation. Oh, I cast my cares upon him for he cares for me. Do you see the glory in that? It's a glory which John the Baptist is saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed him. And they followed him as sheep follow their shepherd. Third, we see the glory of Jesus Christ and that he is the giver of spiritual sight. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, many times, over and over and over, and we're going to see, we see the beginning of this, but we're definitely going to see it as we go, and all throughout the Gospels, Jesus will speak on multiple levels of understanding. He'll say one thing, and he will meet the level at which you're at. Either he's meeting you physically at a physical level. He says, what seek ye? 
And then he says, come and see. And because the disciples were at the physical level. They, Jesus says, what are you seeking? The disciples said, oh, where, where are you staying? We need to see that Jesus works on the spiritual level. He'll take the same exact situations. He'll take the same topics all throughout the word of God. And he'll speak to those in physical means, but he'll mean spiritual. There'll be an underneath. And here, I believe we see that as well. I mean, we see it with Nicodemus. Remember, Jesus says, you must be born again. Now, to us, we've heard that over and over and over all our lives. Even the people, you know, who are ungodly will misuse that term. You must be born again. But back then, Nicodemus, that's a new term. What do you mean you must be born again? And I told you about the pastor had come up to me, me in April that one day. And he says, Philip, how's your love life? And I just happened to have April right next to me. He, he meant spiritually. He didn't mean physically, but I meant, but I understood it. Well, he's, she's right here. And I, don't she, isn't she cute? And, uh, but she, he meant, how's your love life with the Lord? Jesus did that with the, the woman at the, the well, a Samaritan woman. Oh, what a, what a big reveal that was of Jesus to this woman. I mean, Jesus says, uh, give me drink. And the Samaritan woman was like, why are you a Jew asking a Samaritan to give you drink? That's, that's just unheard of. That's uncultural. And uh, she said that, and Jesus said, you know, if you knew who I really was, you would be asking me for the drink, not me, you for the drink. If you knew who I really was, you would see your need immediately for what I give you. That's what he meant to the Samaritan woman. He says, if you knew I was the Son of Man, the Son of God, the forgiver of all sins, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, you, if you saw it and you felt it, you would be coming to Him on your knees, pleading that, you, that He give you the water of life. And that's what He meant. He meant the spiritual truth, even though there were physical things going on. So I think that that's what is happening here. Verse 38, what seek ye? Isn't that the question? What are you seeking for? You're following me, but what are you looking for? What are you looking for today? What are you really seeking? We see many people seek Jesus wrong, don't we? Think about those he fed, the 5,000 he fed with the loaves and the fishes. And there he left. And then the crowd just followed him. I mean, followed him over the sea. And Jesus says, you come looking for me, not because of you saw the miracles, but because I filled your bellies with food, the physical things. And then he goes on to say, labor not for the meat which perish, and all those things. So his question to them is, what seek ye? Now, what level do you think they were on based on their response to Jesus? They said in the hymn, Rabbi, where are you staying? They're still at level one, aren't they? They've not got down to the seeking, the real seeking. And so in verse 39, Jesus answers them, come and see. You know, I honestly, I don't believe that's all that Jesus meant, was come and see where I'm staying. I believe he's saying, come unto me and I'll give you sight. I'll give you real sight. I'll give you real understanding. 
They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Come and see. You know, you, you have the seeking faith and you have the trusting faith, and Jesus says you need both. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me, there's the seeking, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he says, and he that believeth on me, there's the trusting, shall never thirst. In John chapter 6, verse 40, it says, Everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him will have everlasting life. He that seeth, what seek ye? He that seeth the Son and believeth on him shall have everlasting life. But look at this with me in verse 40 to 41. So we know that the disciples were at the level of, hey, where are you physically staying? Verse 40, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Those are the two disciples that left. Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. You know what's interesting in verse 38? When he says, what seek ye? That's a question you ask yourself. What am I looking for? Why am I here? Am I seeking the man, Christ Jesus? And that's what Jesus is. It's, what are you seeking? Are, are you just seeking the stuff that Jesus can give you? Are you seeking just the peace, the comfort, I and mean, all these blessings? Or are you seeking him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Is all of those things just a blessing, a byproduct of the relationship with Him? We don't seek Him for the blessings. We don't seek Him to, to keep us fed. We don't seek Him just for the comfort. We don't seek Him for those things. We seek Him because we love Him. We want to be where He is. We want to be where He is. And so the idea now is in verse 39, now come and see. Come and see. And when they came unto him, they saw. And in seeing, they found. Look, in verse 41, what happens? He first findeth his own brother Simon. After just spending a day with them, that tenth hour in verse 39 is 4 p.m., so they spent some time where Jesus was. There's some things that aren't given here, but I believe Jesus obviously had to give them spiritual sight here because they said, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. We have found Jesus, the giver of life, the Lamb of God. We have found him. Notice that they were first seeking. And then in seeking... They came and Jesus gave them sight. And in the sight they found. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what Noah found because God had grace upon Noah. Not because of anything Noah did, but out of God's good pleasure, his grace, his goodness, he gifted Noah with the grace to see his glory. To understand him, who he is. Seeking, they saw. Jesus says, come and see. And I believe Jesus meant that on both levels. Come and see where I'm staying, but come and see for real. Because I'm going to show you. 
And so we see that they said, hey, we have found the Messiah. That's something that they had not come up all by themselves, but that's the gift of God that gives you the sight to see. Fourth, the glory of the Son is in the glory of the Messiah. The long-expected one of Israel had come. We have found the Messiah. Uh, fifth, we're going to just kind of go kind of fast over that. Notice this in verse 42. Jesus has the authority to change our identity. Verse 42. And he brought him, talking about Andrew, Simon's brother, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, many want to focus on the definition of Peter's name, the stone. You know, this is the, the stone that the, the church is built on, the rock, and all of this. That's not the point of this verse. The point of this verse is to show us the absolute, raw, sovereign power of Jesus Christ to change your identity without you even asking him to. Did Cephas say, wait, don't change my name. My dad gave me that name. I want to be Simon. I, and Cephas is, uh, in the Aramaic, is Peter. And in the Greek, it's Peter. So in the Greek, it's Peter. And in the Aramaic, it's Cephas. Jesus just changed his name. He didn't ask his permission. He didn't say, if it's okay with you, I'm going to change your permission. Jesus not only changed Peter's name, he changed his destiny. Because Jesus has the authority to do it. Look at chapter 1. Verse, I know we've read this one a lot. Verse, uh, verse 12 in chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. That word power in the Greek is excusia. You know what that word means? Authority. As many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What a glory that this man can just change you. Change your identity. And we know that there's a new name he has given unto us. It's hidden. Only him and only us will see this written on the, the white stone. In Revelation, he's talking about our new name, which he gives us. But not only do we have a new name, we're new creatures in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. What the glory of what he has done, he's changed our destination. We're destined for glory. By his grace, he called us unto himself. With the power of the Holy Spirit, he spoke in your heart. He didn't audibly come down and speak to you, but he spoke, he seared in your heart. He woke you up to a reality of your state before him. And there's a fear of God. That was one of the big things in Romans chapter 3. We talked about depravity in Sunday school. Depravity, there's no fear of God. Therefore, there's no sense of urgency of you needing your sins forgiven. You're not going to follow Jesus unless you know you need your sins forgiven. You're not going to follow the Lamb of God which taketh away your sins unless you know you need your sins taken away. How do you know that? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, the invitation which I give you today. Repent, believe upon the Lord, and be saved. It's by His grace, it's by His goodness, but it's only while you breathe. It's offered. And that is today. You're not promised tomorrow. I mean, 
how many times, I mean, I, I just think, how many, how many times do you think the, the people who have passed away woke up that morning thinking they knew they were going to pass away? I mean, just out of the blue. You're not promised tomorrow. We need to get this settled, and it's by his grace that you see the glory that is in Jesus Christ, this man who dwelt among us. That he is God incarnate. He is God himself. There is no identity for your life that's better than the one Jesus will give you. And he has the authority to do that. He just changed Peter's name just like that. And he changes us just like that. He just gives us a new man, a new creature in Christ to where we desire the things of God. We love the things of God. Now, uh, as we move along, Jesus also has the authority to change. The, uh, but in verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now, what an interesting progression we're seeing. Here at the beginning in verse 35, we saw John the Baptist pre preaching and pointing to the Lamb of God. And the disciples followed him. Jesus says, what seek ye? And then Jesus says, come and see. Here, Jesus just walks right up on Philip and says, follow me. The sovereignty, the power of his command, all will obey his command. He went to Lazarus, who was dead, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, obey God, even though he couldn't have done that. He couldn't raise himself from the dead. Jesus had the power and the authority to raise Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus obeyed the voice of Jesus Christ. There is no disobeying God's call, his special call. Oh, when he calls you, he's our shepherd, and his sheep will hear his voice and we will come to him. Every time, 100%, 10 out of 10 times, he never, ever misses. He gets everybody he died for. All the time. There's no slipping through the Father's hand. The Father is powerful. His fa the, the Father's hands are not weak and frail like ours are. When we're in his grip, there's no man that is able to pluck him out of our hands. All whom he died for will come to him. He will call. And just as the sheep will hear his voice, and another voice will we not hear. We only know our shepherd's voice. And that is, he commands us to follow. He findeth Philip and said, follow me. Now we saw before those who were seeking, but we know that it's always the call of God. Jesus says in John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I have ordained you that you should go forth and bring fruit. Oh, but lastly, look at verse 44. Jesus knows our internal and our external condition. Now Philip was a Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathaniel. And said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Oh, what an attitude. Now, before I keep going, I want you to notice this, just for time-wise. Notice what Nathanael is. He's prejudiced. He takes a little tiny fact about someone or something and he applies it to a whole. That's prejudicism. 
Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now also notice about Nathaniel. He's got no filter. He just spits it out. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. That means deceit. That means Nathanael said what he was thinking. He didn't hide it in hypocrisy. He didn't have a, like a facade. He didn't secretly think it and say something else. Now both things are wrong. Jesus knows Nathanael inside. Jesus knows what type of person Nathanael is, doesn't he? Verse 48, Nathanael said, how do you know me? Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Before you ever saw me, I saw you. Even though you're not in his physical sight, he still sees you. Jesus knows us on the outside. He knows our circumstances. And he knows us on the inside. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The glory of Jesus Christ, he knows us inside and out. He knows our circumstances. He knows our hearts. And I want to talk to you here at the end. He understands me. Jesus knows our circumstance. He knew the circumstance Nathaniel was in. He knew uh, what type of man Nathaniel was. And I don't believe he's, he is condoning that he had no guile. I don't, Jesus is not condoning being prejudiced, what Nathaniel said. Nathaniel was a sinner. But he did, he did call attention to the fact he's not a hypocrite about it, about hiding beside what, behind it. But Jesus understands us. He knows us. Uh, John Piper brought this out, and I love it, and I pray it blesses you. There was a song, an African-American spiritual song. Many of you all know it. It's called, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. Nobody Knows My Sorrow. Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. Now think about that. Think about what that means. There's, there's two ways you can look at that. In one way, I, I reject. The first way you can think about that song is, nobody knows the circumstances that are happening to me. Nobody has ever gone through the same thing I'm going through. Nobody's ever gone through the sorrow. Nobody's ever gone through the pain, the heartache, the circumstances. But is that true? That's not true. People have gone through the same thing you've gone through. They've gone through loss. They've gone through grief. And probably worse than you've gone through. I don't believe this song is talking about that. I believe what this is saying is nobody knows the sorrow I've seen. Nobody knows what it's like to be me with what I'm going through. You are the only you. 
Nobody knows what it's like to be in my skin. Nobody knows what it's like to have my history, my upbringing, my weaknesses, my temptations, my thoughts, my fears, my anxieties, my sorrows, the, the pain. Nobody knows what it's like. Now that, if you think about that, that's a very lonely place to be, isn't it? You're the only one who can experience what you're experiencing and know what it's like. There's nobody else. Except for one. Except for one. Jesus. No one understands like Jesus. Jesus. I mean, I love that hymn. I don't know if you all have heard that hymn. No one understands like Jesus. Every woe he sees and feels. Tenderly he whispers comfort and the broken heart he heals. No one understands like Jesus when you falter, when you falter along the way, though you fail him, you sadly fail him. He will forgive you today. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near and so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. What a glory we see of Christ. Not only did he know Nathaniel's heart, but he knew the circumstance that Nathaniel was in. Not only does he know your heart, he knows your mind, he knows your fears, he knows your weakness, he knows everything there is to know. If it's just you, know that you're not alone. Jesus knows and understands you. Just as he knew and understood Nathaniel. Oh, the, John the Baptist said, Behold, here comes the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the disciples left John and said, There's someone better. There's someone who, can, who is the sin remover. And then Jesus says, What are you seeking? That's meant to be a question to you today. What are you seeking? Jesus, if you're just thinking physically, Jesus will meet you there. And he'll say, Well, come and see. That's a seeking faith. And you come to Jesus Christ believing. Oh, and he'll show you much, much, much more. He says, Nathaniel, you believed because I said I saw you under the fig tree. But oh, wait, there's so much more to come. What a blessing. What a grace it is to see the glory of Jesus Christ, to feel the fullness of his glory. It's the Lord's salvation. Oh, and he has created, he's the author of the salvation. He's the author of your redemption. He's the author of your reconciliation. You are the author of your separation. He's the author of our reconciliation. And we go to him. We seek him. We don't seek him to help him. We seek him for him to help us. Because he's the savior. He's the one who's strong. He's the one who's mighty to save. And he will today. I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For this day, thank you, Father, for just your glory, which you have given through Jesus Christ. Father, we call all men everywhere, all women, to repent and believe and trust in you to forgive of their sins that Jesus paid for their sins upon the cross. Father, you rose him again the third day triumphantly. Today he is in heaven with you in glory. And one day all things, all things will end. You will create all things new. We'll have one eternal day 
where we shall see the glory of Jesus Christ. And all we will do is praise and worship and thank him for your great grace. Father, we do pray for each one here. And be with each heart. You know each knee. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Jeremy and Sister Harriet, if you'd come, please. We'll have a couple of lines of invitation, and we don't have long invitations. But if the Lord has spoken to you at all, we invite you to come. Also, if, if you'd like to speak with me privately, take one of the bulletins home.